No, everything you know is wrong. Hello and never goodbye, and it's me, and I'm with you again to look at the arcane wonders of our wonderful world. Everything you know is wrong. Put your seatbelts on because you're in for a howling high. I am a narrator, the voice that guides the blind. Following up with your ears, but your mind, and allow me to take you back and forth through time to explain the significance of things you may think insignificant now, but won't further down the line. Ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. My guest is Suzanne Worthley. She's been an energy healing practitioner, intuitive, and psychic empath for more than two decades. Suzanne also teaches and counsels on the subject of energy, healing, personal power, protection, and the higher self. She offers various workshops, and through her online community, Vibe Tribe, Suzanne offers ongoing training and forums for learning discussion and support. She's also the author of An Energy Healer's Book of Dying, and her new book that we'll be talking about is Confident Empath, a complete guide to multidimensional empathing and energy or energetic protection. So Suzanne, welcome to the Magical Mystery Tour. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to do this. Me too. I totally loved this book. That's and great. I love hearing that. Thank you. I think this is one of those books that is like essential reading for all human beings. Oh, my gosh. I just said that on another interview the other day. They said, you know, who do you think should read this book? And I said, anyone walking this planet, for gosh sakes, because we're all sensitive, right? So anybody, I don't even care what age you are, because my 89-year-old mother's in the middle of it right now. So I think it is. Thank you for pointing that out. I appreciate it. And I was so impressed by the depth and the broad, encompassing breadth of, of what you share in this book. Well, you know, when I started this, it was because of 
how much work I do in this area with clients, but more so because I am one and I had such a, you know, bouncy up and down journey with this because there wasn't a whole lot of information out there. And now in the last couple of years, the word empath has become kind of kitschy. And there is, you know, a handful of books out there on empathing. But when I saw that, when I was putting things together, I really noticed that they were all about people. Everything was about people. And I'm a quantum worker, meaning I go into the multi-dimensions for everything that I do. And I was really, really confident in making it this kind of a book saying, no, this stuff is not just about people. And so I expanded the actual content into every realm of energy where I find myself being vampired. And it is really, really critical information for us to know this stuff. So I think this is what really positions it as unique. Well, I've had some experience outside of the normal realm. And I know other people who have as well, and, you know, some for better and and some for worse. So I, I would like to hear more about the range of your, quote unquote, quantum empathing and the quantum work that you do and the range yeah the range of that so that you know give us a sense because human beings are much more multidimensional than we are led to understand in our culture correct yeah you know this was all very familiar to me when i was a child i even say that in the i think beginning part of the book where i this book i share a lot of stories that are personal and i throw myself out there pretty vulnerably in that This started when I was six and seven and eight years old, seeing aliens floating on my ceiling every night. And I, at that age, of course, thought that everybody saw them. I didn't even know my sister who shared the big queen size bed didn't see them. And so my multidimensionality was really common when I was a child. And then I got very, very sick. And I write about that. And at age seven, I was able to astral project like all the time. And I didn't know, again, that that wasn't what everybody did. I could, you know, shoot out of my body and I could go and hear the nurses talking about me in the other room because I was so sick. And it was just very common for me. And as I aged, like most of us do, I started to realize that I was quote unquote, that weird one. And I started to pull back and let it kind of go inside. I never lost my intuitive self, but that whole feeling of everything that I knew in a bigger realm came rushing back. And I explained this in the book as well in my 30s, because at this point, I was a corporate executive, I was playing the, you know, 3D world, and I had four kids, and I traveled all over the country and blah, blah, blah. And out of the blue, I could see in my husband's body. And it just shook me to my knees, because I'm like, what the heck, but then everything came flooding back. But I think what is so important, Tonio, is that we don't have, especially at that time, a whole lot of understanding of what that means. And when it floods back like that, and you don't have a mentor, which is part of the purpose I do what I do. If you don't have a mentor to bring you through this stuff, you think you're absolutely losing your marbles. And I'm sure if you've had experiences, you know what that feels like, right? Well, I never felt like I was losing my marbles. I grew up in such an insane world to begin with, so that, (laughs) you know, on the sort of Richter scale level, it wasn't any more dramatic. It was just in a different realm. Okay. Yeah. And I guess that's sort of the same, but mine was coming at every second of the day in every way under the sun. And it was just overstimulating. And then the alien stuff and the quantum stuff started to come back. And this at that time also, remember this about 20 years ago, was not like being talked about like it is now. Starseed, the word starseed wasn't even a thing. 
And now it's kind of another new buzzword. And so the quantum stuff came back, you know, quite a bit into my so-called healing career. And then that started to come back with a force also in terms of I was seeing geometrics again, and I was going out into the grids and no one was talking about multidimensional grids at all. And I was very, very confident and comfortable in the work when I was in the work. But when I would come out of the work, because I would work semi-meditative, and when I would come out of the work and, and you know, basically have to come back into this 3D human body of who Suzanne was, I would second guess myself like, oh, my goodness, this is when I thought I was losing my mind. I'm like, this is insane because I know that I'm going through wormholes and portals. And I know that I'm in, you know, multi-dimensions at one time. And I know I'm moving constellations and I know I'm moving planets. And, you know, I know I'm seeing electric wars from, you know, eons ago and on and on it was going. So it was a very fast paced waking up for me with not a lot of direction. And that's why it was self-taught empath skills, because I was taking everything on and it was, I was just really overdone. Wow. That's, that's way more intense than what I experienced. And I thought what I experienced was, was pretty intense at times, but mainly I had no reference point for anything that I had experienced. Right. And I didn't even consider that there was an option to talk to anybody about any of it. <laughs> and and I think this is why it's so great that you, you know, you and all these other podcasters and radio stations are talking finally, right? I mean, my goodness, we just, we need to share this information ASAP because it is waking up people left and right. And so many are ending up in my office just completely confused. And I'm so grateful to be able to say, you're not nuts. I had a 14-year-old girl the other way, Tonio. She walked in my office and she said, you don't seem to understand. I know that I need to go into a crazy hospital. I know I have to do this. And I said, what makes you think that? Because she was depressed and, you know, almost suicidal because she had all these crazy thoughts. And she said, Suzanne, sometimes I really feel like people on this earth, all of them aren't human. And I said, well, that's because they're not. And she's like, what? And then she said, I even think some people are background people. And she literally said the word background people. And I said, that's a thing. That is a thing. That's a real thing. And she's like, what? So everything I kept validating, she just kept going, what? So she had this list long and I was validating almost every single thing on her list going, no, I've seen that. No, I've done that. No, that's a truth in my world. And, you know, when people are listening to this, take what resonates and toss the rest, because maybe some of it isn't time for you. Or it doesn't resonate at all. But boy, if it resonates, you can feel so good about yourself because you're remembering what you already know in other realms. So what are those things that you were talking about and that she was talking about? And how do they relate to us? Or how are they significant to our experience of being in a human body in a multidimensional universe? Well, the first thing she was concerned about is that not everybody was human. And in my opinion, I'm very well aware that everybody that's walking on this planetary system is not necessarily human. And there's all different versions of that. Some people are absolutely not human at all. And they're walking around in a holographic projection of a human existence. And what do you mean by that? Meaning I'm in there, but I'm wearing almost, let's just make it really simple. I'm wearing a suit. I'm actually wearing a meat and bone suit that's projecting out so that I inside am not seen for who or what I truly am. And sometimes these can be nefarious agendas, meaning I'm a reptilian inside. But, you know, there's a really great movie way back when, when it had, um, 
I don't know if it was X-Men where it had Mystique. Remember Mystique? She was the blue gal and she was unbelievably gorgeous and she could morph into different things. And she morphed into the senator at that particular movie at one particular time. But her eyes were always different. So the eyes are the clue because the eyes always hold something different. The pupils are different. They're black, they're dark, whatever. Their slits are going up and down like a reptile. So a lot of that kind of thing is happening on planet, in my opinion, and many others. Because a lot of these reptilians are cloaking themselves because they're on not a great agenda here. It's a dark agenda. We call that the negative alien agenda, which would be NAA. So that's one version. Another version can simply be hybrid. Our human existence has been so hybrid over and over and over that many people walking this planet are also half what we would call starseed or off planet and half human, like interbreeding. And this is very common and it's becoming more and more common because this helps our planet, but it also helps other planetary systems to keep their bloodlines moving and working. And then there's people, the backdrop people was the best thing that she had a feeling of, which I think is fascinating. A backdrop person, Dolores Cannon talks about it. She's no longer on planet, but her stuff is still online. And if you really want to understand it thoroughly, you can Google her on YouTube or wherever and ask about backdrop people. What that means is, is that they are walking around in a human existence, but they really aren't fully connected in any way, shape or form to a soul experience any longer because they're basically like extras in the play. So we have, if you believe this existence is a hologram and it is projected through our individualized hologram. So Tonio has a hologram. Suzanne has a hologram and our projection into from our hologram into the reality hologram is how we perceive and navigate the world. When we're connected to our soul, that's one level of the hologram, but there's many people that are just filling the spaces. These would be people, for example, like, oh, I live in an apartment building and I've never, ever seen anybody on this entire floor once. And I've been here 10 years and yet I can sort of see him in the window or I can see him get into a car, but I've never had a true experience with them. So they fill out the scene. Does that make sense? Are you saying that from their own perspective, they don't have any connection to the world around them? Correct. So they're just placed into my hologram to fill out the scene. And you can feel the vibration of these beings because they don't resonate at a frequency that most humans are at. It's interesting. They're more of a flat frequency. And again, when an empath is really skilled and we know our own frequency and we hold our own frequency very intimately, if I walk past someone like that, it's a flat frequency. They're not engaging. They're just sort of in the background. And it's very interesting. You can start to really identify it once you get more into this concept. And it's not judging anybody. They're very important for filling out the scene. I mean, it's like you go to the state fair and there's, you know, a hundred bazillion people there and probably a third of them aren't even really there. They're just filling in the scene, you know? So it's interesting. And again, Dolores Cannon really, really makes sense of it all. And then there's another version that I should talk about too called grayscale people, meaning we in this society and humanness period for eons have been going through a recycle program in terms of karma. We have a situation that we come down here. We have a karmic relationship with someone. If we don't learn in that incarnation, the karmic lessons, we die with the pain and the unlearned lessons. We go back to in-between source, and then we choose to come back and learn the other side of the lesson. 
So for example, I was abused by my mother and now my mother comes back and is the one that's getting abused by me. And we flip and we flop so that we learn both sides of the coin. This is not what the human design was meant to have happen. It was a nefarious agenda again to keep us in a loop program of not ascending not only ourselves as a soul, but our planetary system. And this is when we go through incarnation after incarnation after incarnation in the same lesson. It's almost like when we use a printer and we keep printing and printing and printing and our partridge is running out and the black is getting grayer and grayer and grayer. So every time we come, that soul is getting grayer and grayer, meaning I'm not connected as much. I'm no longer 100% or black ink. I'm down to like, you know, 5% connection to my soul. I'm grayscale. And these are everywhere on planet. And that doesn't mean they're bad. It doesn't mean they're on a bad agenda. It's not a dark, you know, force agenda. It is simply the reincarnation cycle that will no longer happen because we're in the ascension process right now that no longer is going to tolerate that kind of um, reincarnation over and over on behalf of that. So we are changing that right now. And this is really a critical change in our ascension process right now. So what you described about background people and grayscale people, I feel like I've experienced that all the time in the world around me. But unlike you, I don't see things. I feel things. I sense things in people like, you know, growing up, on the streets of New York City, I'll sense the people who are really present and alive. And I can see like the spark in their eyes from half a block away. Whereas right. most of the people essentially don't even exist for me. They're there walking by, but they have no meaning, no substance for me. And when I encounter people that have like real energy, a real spark of life or, or something alive in them, I sense them right away. Right. But, I, but I've so, never thought about it in the ways that you're talking about it. Yeah. So this will give you a little bit of context. And again, there's no judgment on any of this. Our souls have been evolving for eons on this planet and well beyond it. And it's important for us to understand nobody is lesser because they're a grayscale person. Basically, they're a fractal of our own selves when we get up to the higher source energy, right? We're all fractals of each other. We're all fractals of whatever your God package looks like. So we're understanding as these grayscale people are being called off the planet eventually, they're simply going back to their soul self to reunite with who and what they truly are. And they don't have a need then to come back and play this ridiculous game of incarnation in fear. We can now come back and reincarnate in love that will work on behalf of not only all of humanity, but the planet and the galaxy itself. So this is what we were designed to do is to be the law of one. But when we got, you know, taken hostage, basically, as a planetary system that was intervened upon, and then we've been stuck in this silly cycle. But again, this is changing because the frequency of our planetary existence right now is raising so high that these grayscale people will basically shut down because they won't be able to handle the frequency upgrades. So why would people like that choose to come into this world? Because back when we were still under the false narratives, we need to understand if we choose to understand holographic, there was inserts into our holographic existence, which we will call reversal programs. So if something was this, 
in the actual hologram, it was actually that. So it was the reverse. And it's a program that sits in the grid systems that then fuels our consciousness and our minds. So we were programmed to think instead of that, we were programmed to think this or think of like a square. It's actually a diamond now or whatever. So it's a reversal program that we were thinking all along was the correct information. And now grid workers have gone into the systems and removed these so-called reversal programs out of the grid. Now you have to understand a grid is like a blueprint or an instruction set. So if that grid had false information in it, that grid is connecting with our grid as a human being. And it's giving us information like a blueprint says there's a window there, there's a door there, there's electric there. It was telling us false information, but we didn't know the difference. And so that's what grid workers have been cleaning up for the last decades. How does one determine what is the the true blueprint and what are like mis overlays, let's say? That's a great question. And it really is the first chapter in the book, because in my opinion, everyone on this planet is an empath in a general sense. And the reason why we get caught up in programming and we get caught up in fear-based thinking and fuel is because of our belief systems. And we have been working in a system of energy that is run in fear fuel for eons versus love fuel, because we were basically hijacked into that. And that fear fuel is what feeds that negative reversal programming. This is what is changing right now. But as an individual, it is critical if you choose to go in to your belief systems and dig out every single solitary thing that is fear-based from even in utero and going all the way back into your childhood. And some people can even get into their past lives if they choose to. It is going into these spaces and places and saying, I am first and foremost going to examine these belief systems. And then at the very same time, the job is to ignite my individualized feel centers, my true feel centers, not my thinking feeling, not my program feeling, my true emotional, bodily, physical, spiritual feel centers. And then when I align those thoughts to the true feel in my own container, I can go, yeah, that doesn't serve me any longer, or that doesn't resonate now, or I grew out of that. And we can remove those belief systems. And it's the very first homework of the empath. So it sounds like this negative reversal pattern that you're talking about is essentially the programming that keeps us separate. Exactly. And it keeps us driven in fear fuel. I talk a lot in Confident Empath about that there's only two kinds of frequency fuel. One is fear-based, one is love-based. Fear-based is, I have to, I need to, I can't, I should. It's all that rumination of pushing, 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 and that's the old programming. We have been programmed as a species since day one to say, this is what you think, and this is how you act. And we have never had the emotional opportunity to say, wait a minute, me as an individual doesn't believe in that. So now when we work individually and hold our truths individually, it actually assists us collectively. But we have been working the other way, shutting down the individuality so it separates our collectivity. So it's really all about the biggest law of the universe, which is the law of one. We are all connected. Absolutely everything is connected. And we don't get taught that. We've never been taught that in school, right? We're taught the capitals of the states, for gosh sakes, but we're not taught that we're all one. I mean, there's no compassion in our teachings. It's really sad. Yeah. And 
growing up, I always, I never lost the sense that there was something fundamentally wrong with the way everybody, literally everybody was relating to the world and the way they just, it was not something I, I knew how to put into language or, or really put my finger on in any tangible way. But as you're saying, it's like, I just knew that the whole paradigm that, that our world was working by and believed in was pretty much 180 degrees in the opposite <laughs> direction of what, what I sensed about it. But because I had nobody to talk to about it and no reference points, no landmarks of any sort, I just felt like I didn't belong in any of it. This is a huge empath thing. These are signs that you're an empath from the very beginning. These are signs that you most likely are even more starseed, meaning I've come through many other lifetimes and other planetary systems because my knowledge base comes in higher. So that doesn't make us cooler or better for a starseed with that knowledge, but it does at the very same time make us cooler or better, meaning it is our job to bring this information forward and start talking about this stuff. And that's what you're doing with these kinds of shows. So it's awesome that you've, you know, heeded the call because there hasn't been people to be able to talk to. My blog is filled with fear-based people that are similar to that little 14-year-old girl that was terrified that she was nuts. And when she started to understand she was gifted, now it's an opportunity for me to call my gifts and use them for not just myself, but the world. And this is how we change everything. You know, reading your book has caused me to reassess a lot of my past perspectives about myself, because growing up, I felt so disconnected from the people around me and the insanity going around me that I felt uh, terrible insecurity and lack of self-esteem. And yet at the same time inside, I felt extremely powerful and virtually invulnerable in many ways. And yet the two seemed so dramatically counter to each other at the same time. And yet that was what I was experiencing at different times. Again, I had no reference point, no way to understand what any of it meant. And I've had various experiences where I'm with people who lose their power, go into fear. And I'm like, don't worry about it. Nothing can touch you. And I just know that in my entire being that nothing can touch them. Nothing can touch me. And yet it's not coming from anything I've learned in any way that I can put my finger on. And that's very, very true. The only point I'm going to make is actually something can touch them if their belief system creates that entryway. So if, if you truly understand that and know that, that's what's keeping your boundary up so nothing does get tonial. Well, but if I, I don't said, have that, yeah, then they I, can be hijacked, right? Right. Well, when, when I said to them that nothing can touch them, it's because I'm there and nothing can touch them as long as I'm with them. Yeah. And ultimately, though, it's their responsibility if they choose to open up their belief system to call those skills again and say, hey, this is a personal responsibility thing. That's what this book is about. We throw so much stuff out there about being a victim and a controller and a gaslighter. And we're doing all this stuff outside of ourselves because we can blame everything. We can blame the job. We can blame the government. We can blame our friend, our mother. And on it goes. But when we stop the blame game and we step into our own empowerment, then there isn't a blame game and we start to find that true inside power that says, I'm the one that is never going to stand for this again. I refuse to consent to anything that does get to hijack me. And this is when we become very powerful people. Right. And part of that experience of being able to protect another person was also realizing, well, 
I may be able to do this in this moment, but I can't sacrifice my whole life to do that for other people. And actually in the long term, and this is my opinion again, in the long term, it isn't our job to long term protect anybody because what that's doing is, is that's stomping on their actual contract of being here to learn whatever lessons they might need. For example, my mom used to say, hey, Suzanne, so-and-so got breast cancer and I want you to pray for her to get better. And I would tell my mom, no. And she goes, why? She needs to get better. And I said, no, I will not pray in the way of that because I'm not allowed to do that. I will pray for her highest and best good. I will mm -hmm. pray for whatever her outcome is in alignment with her soul. That I will pray for. But I will never throw my judgment into the ring to say, you need to get better because better through my eyes might look different than her eyes and her higher self's eyes, et cetera. So these skill sets that we offer in Confident Empath are about honoring everyone's journey. And this is when we stop doing the silly things like worry. You know, nine out of 10, if not 100 out of 10 empaths are constantly worrying until they understand this process because they think worry is going to protect somebody or help somebody or change something. And it's a lose-lose energetic situation. So this is the insight that you gain after you understand how energy works. And that's something I, I totally resonate periodically. Of course, I forget about it when I get hijacked by the notion that somebody is not well and it's affecting me, my energy field, because it's making me feel really uncomfortable. Right. And, but there are also times when I encounter people and I feel really weak and vulnerable and I feel like I'm totally susceptible to picking up their energy and I can feel things in, in their energy that to me, they feel like something I don't want to have anything to do with. Not that it's evil or dark or, or any of that necessarily. It's just that it's something that feels like I need to get out of there as soon as I can. Some of the people that I encountered that way, they're not dark people. They're not, they're not bad people at all. Um, I recently did have one of the rare encounters where I sensed an actual evil presence in somebody, mm -hmm. even though I don't think that that person is that way, but that they just have some kind of entity that likes to come out when there's more than one other person around them. Yeah. The first one can be basically, the first one you were discussing can be basically just that energy vampire. And because you're so empathic, quite simply, your bubble or your auric field may have been weaker that day. And that that just allowed yourself to be sucked dry in terms of that energy transference. And I break that down really, really detailed in the book, because basically what we're doing is, is we're overlapping auric fields and there's a sucking or a vampiring of that energy back and forth. And your red flag went up and said, uh, this isn't good for me. And there's skill sets to boot that up and be aware of that. But until you really have that skill, it's awesome to just walk away. So you were doing a great job in that. And the vampire does not have to be a nasty, evil person, like you said. I was a classic energy vampire and didn't even know it. When I was corporate and I would walk through a show for hundreds of thousands of people that I was in charge of, I was vampiring all day long just to get through a 10-day event, you know? I mean, it was crazy and I had no idea I was doing it. I just thought I was being the boss. So they don't have to be something that comes in a really bad package. They can be someone who thinks that they're just having a great life, but it is definitely a dangerous lose-lose energy exchange. 
when we meet somebody evil, that's even a step up because these can literally be someone who is hijacked. And I talk about hitchhikers and I talk about, you know, basically where this dark force energy has been able to interpenetrate someone's field. Because again, it's like the windows are open on your car and it's raining out and you can't figure out why you're wet. That's because your window of your actual auric field is broken or open and susceptible to weakness. So this demonic energy can slip right in and kind of, you know, piggyback on you, which then eventually, if you're not aware of it or get help with it, it can alter your personality eventually completely and turn into something way more dangerous. So this stuff happens way more than we're aware of. It's happening on an ongoing basis every day in so many aspects. And we haven't even talked about other realms yet because people is really what we think about the most, but it's happening on every level of the scale. So let's talk about energy fields and the way we interact with others and the basic nature of how this all happens. As you said, it's happening all the time. And most of us are completely unaware that it's happening. Some of us are actively stealing or vampiring energy from people around us. Others are in victim mode, just letting themselves be kind of raped and pillaged all the time. Mm -hmm. Um, Talk about the dynamics of our energy fields and as human beings, how that occurs so that, you know, our listeners can better understand the nature of all of this and how it relates to them. Yeah, this is the basic foundational information. And so I pretty much extensively have laid this out in the book as well. We don't necessarily even learn this until we choose to start studying about it in a holistic field or something thereof, because in Western medicine, we don't talk about our meridian lines, our chakras, our aura. And so basically it goes like this. If we are a vehicle of source energy, source energy, put whatever package you want on it, but you're a fractal or a vehicle of that source energy. So think of your body as a car and it's the best way to do this. Your body is a vehicle and a vehicle needs gasoline. So gasoline is what we would call consciousness. It's an awareness. It's a fuel of love source energy that connects us to the God package in terms of I am present. I am here. It's my chi, my life force, my prana. All of those words are interactive and it comes into our body via the chakra system. So the chakras are hundreds of them throughout our body, but the seven main ones go up and down the spine and they aren't anatomical. It doesn't mean I have a thing. It is a force of movement that takes this consciousness from all of source and turns it into your vehicle. Much like when you go to the gas station, you take off the little cap and you plug the hose in and you start to squeeze that hose and the gas comes out. So the chakra is like the little hole. The gas is the consciousness, life force energy, and we're pummeling it into our energetic body, which then is the fuel for how this physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual body reacts and interacts and navigates the world. So these chakras are something, in my opinion, everybody should know about because they reside in all of us and they are the template on how we live and how we dis-ease our body and how we get sick and how we die. These are activated in the birth process and then they are deactivated in the death process. And my other book, An Energy Healer's Book of Dying, documents absolutely intensively the death process in the chakras and the auric field. So it's really extensive. The other book just tell you 
this is how the body shuts down in humanness and dies. But when we are actively living our lives, these chakras are all over the place. And the more that you understand, oh, gosh, my chakras are taking a hit. I don't have any life force. I'm going to work on these. Doing energy work, doing meditative work, being present, filling ourselves with great fuel, right? The more healthy we are. If we're not, we're becoming diseased. And then we take that little dash out and it becomes diseased. And this is how we shut down. So that is the vehicle and the gas. But more importantly for the empath is what we would consider the gas tank. So each of these chakras are bringing in fuel, which is light, frequency, vibration, color, sound. That's what consciousness is made out of. And each of them then templates or holds their own level of a template, one after another, much like what the inside of a jawbreaker looks like, the color after color after color. And they interpenetrate and hold our own individualized gasoline or fuel. And this is critical for us because if we don't have a gas tank in our car and we fill up at the station and it pours all over the ground, I'm not going to get very far down the road because my parts are going to die. So when the empath who is unskilled is walking around, this gas tank is rusted, it's cracked, it's torn, it's not any good. And this body is still continuing to traverse or navigate their day. And they're ultimately losing energy, losing energy with this weak aura. And they will come upon something or someone else. And their auric field will shove right into the other one, overlap, interpenetrate, and break through that other auric field to then make a sucking action of what we call energy transference. And so now it's important to understand, however, that that other person or other thing allowed that to happen because they too are not 100% aware or confident in what that's happening. So this energy transference is going on in multiple ways throughout our day when we have weak auric fields. It's like a Red Bull hit. All of a sudden I feel great, but then all of a sudden I die and I go down even more. So now I need to find more. And this is why the energy term is vampiring. Because I need more, I need more, I need more. And I will go throughout my day and suck it in a number of ways. So the number of ways can be actually very anger-filled. I'm going to control you. I'm going to manipulate you. I'm going to overpower you. But just as dangerous for most empaths is, I'm so worried about you. I want to help you. I want to fix you. I want to take on all your problems. And that is the same exact energy transference situation, even though it's under two completely umbrellas. Yeah, it's fascinating how these are interdynamics that we're all familiar with, and yet what's going on under the surface is something that we're totally unaware of. And so talking about the fuel tanks again, how do we develop a sturdy tank? Aura? Yeah, I mean, it's actually quite simple. That's what's so silly. I mean, you know, part of my frustration as a practitioner for so many years is why aren't we teaching this? Why are we not absolutely telling children this? I mean, goodness sakes, right out of the gate, we're doing all these things with our kids that they're not understanding their own field centers. They're just following orders and rules, you know? So if we start to understand that this is our self-responsibility first and foremost, the first red flag that comes up for the empath because of belief systems again is, well, I can't make myself come first. That's selfish. I've been told to put everybody else first and I come last, which is classic empath, by the way. And so the first thing is to really change that mindset that I indeed energetically 
am going to come first because it's that important or I can't be a good frequency for anything I'm doing, much less helping others, right? So it's the mindset first. Secondarily, it's an energetic kind of like maybe short meditation on an ongoing basis that visualizes and consciously brings in that fuel collectively from everywhere and anywhere, meaning the cosmos, which is father sky, the earth, which is mother earth. Those are my counter parents and energy. I bring that energy back into my heart space and then I bubble myself. It's called the grounding and the bubbling. I bubble myself and I watch that bubble all day long in a subconscious level. And I'm aware of my bubble and I'm heightened to the fact that my bubble just got an attack on it. So this is a very simple thing to learn. I have a free meditation right on the homepage of my website called the ground and bubble. And in the book, there's an extensive ground and bubble in the appendix for a meditation. So it's a practice. It's simply a practice. And then it becomes second nature. So from the very beginning of reading the book, I was really looking forward to getting to that grounding and bubbling practice at the end. So it, mm -hmm. it took me a couple of weeks to get there, but I was kind of living in anticipation of that because I felt like I needed it. Yeah. And these are such critical things for our energy. I really, really designed it so people can understand the car, the fuel and the tank business because no one of us would drive down the highway with a cracked tank. That is silly. We would know that we're going to go chug, chug and pull over. But yet we're all walking around on a daily basis with a cracked tank and no one takes care of it. So this, again, is important information for anyone walking this planetary existence, because this isn't just about people. If I have a tank that's bad, I can walk through a building or a piece of land and I can have the same exact energy transference of fear based toxic fuel in a heartbeat. And we are all walking through our day in multiple spaces and places, and none of us are aware of this. And so this is really important information to get out into the masses. So empaths sometimes can sense when they're in a vulnerable situation or when there are certain kind of harmful dynamics around them. But most people, or is it true that most people aren't aware of that? I think the general empath, which is basically everyone on this planet, is aware of almost anything if they are somehow connected to their field centers. That said, many of us have shut down our field centers because of, again, the first chapter, shed, look, you've been taught, look at those belief systems because many people have had abusive upbringing. You need to be seen but not heard. I'm not going to have you talk out loud to adults. You need to respect us and melt into the woodwork. You know, all of those things that are predetermined in our head from all of those years don't validate me having the opportunity to feel. So many, many adults are really imbalanced and not harmonized with their feel centers at all. And that's one of those first steps is looking at beliefs and activating feels. Because if I can't feel, I don't even know that I walked through something. But I'll tell you how scary this gets. If I walked through fear on a piece of land, for example, where there was a murder or there was something horrible or there's something sad, and it could have been hundreds of years ago, and I'm not even aware of it, but I get that fear that something's going to happen or I'm going to die or something is scary. It is a message that comes through my whole entire matrix of myself, and I get a red alert inside of my body. And if I have no context to make it make sense, I have no information, no level of connecting the dots. This will be housed inside of my body and it will run as a program inside of my own computer matrix. And I will 
because this is how powerful the human is, make something happen in my own life that aligns to that fear. I will make something scary. I will make something sad. I will make something happen. So this is why it's imperative for us to be able to discern, which is the big word in this book, discern that, you know what, that isn't mine. And I'm not going to retain that. I'm going to move that through because that is not mine. But that discernment process takes the practice of all of the other things first. So this is a really important component to go along with depth psychology and understanding the workings of our shadow self that that operates and projects itself out into the outer world when we're not conscious of those shadow aspects going on inside of us. Definitely. Yes. And what people don't understand on a large scale is the entire planet was thrown into shadow work in 2020. That was part of the bigger agenda. And actually, that was an agenda from the divine. We were thrown into isolation in many ways, shapes and forms, especially in our mental field, which then affected our emotional and physical bodies. And we were offered an opportunity within all the mess that we were traversing to go into the shadow self to isolate into shadow work. And for those that did that shadow work, they came through those last crappy couple of years with, you know, great wonder and joy and balance and harmony and opened up. Those that did not do that work actually went backwards and got more fear-based and are even deeper into their shadow. So shadow work is imperative if one wants to actually have a spiritual journey forward. And you say that the way we navigate and relate to the world around us really boils down to how we've learned to give and take energy. Yep, absolutely. And a lot of that becomes programmed, not only from whom we grow up with, but our social programming, our media programming, our entertainment programming. I mean, the ridiculousness that we're fed for truths out there, things that are scary out there is so over the top right now. It's just crazy. And when an empath really gets very confident It's almost humorous in that you feel like you need to grab a bowl of popcorn and just sit back and watch the insanity of the programming because you can see it everywhere. And when you are confident enough in working your skill set, you can just look at the news and go, that's not even a truth. I know that's not even a truth. And you don't have to hang on to all that fear. Whereas someone that isn't aware is immediately sucking into that media frenzy and then transferring that all throughout their day, every day, and their sleep space. And so this is the craziness that we're in right now. And that could be also said as when we see the insanity going on all around the world, around us, or in the news, that it's not my truth, whereas many people choose to make it their truth. They they tend to believe the story that consensus reality has been you know, spoon-feeding us since we were born. And you're hitting on one of the most important, intimately sacred things in my world is understand that you individually are responsible for aligning to your truth. And no one gets to or has to validate that outside of you because it's within you. But we have been programmed, Tonio, since the beginning in terms of this, because when a lot of the galactic stuff that happened in our bigger spaces and places, this planetary system in and of itself was really at risk and really programmed in a really dark way, meaning the first fractalization of the God source is a trinity in energy, light, sound, frequency, vibration. It's a trinity that shattered into the trinity of a father God frequency, a mother God frequency, and a child frequency. 
And some of our dogmatic religions will use similar concept of Trinity, but this is the energetic Trinity of Father, God, Trinity is the positive, not happy positive, just the positive like on a battery. It's the positive and it stands for thought frequencies and lines in our grid systems. The mother energy is the negative energy, not bad, negative, negative, like a battery and the negative counterpart. And she stands for emotion and she goes horizontal in the grid patterns. The child is actually a neutral or zero point frequency because we need that to make the battery work or the movement of the energy. And the child is the action energy. So what happened when this planetary system got hijacked, and this is eons ago, pre-Sumerian time, is that we got taken over and they purposefully deleted the mother frequency from being able to get through our grid systems and into our planet and into our bodies. It took out the emotional frequency and altered it in that grid program with what we talked about earlier, reversal programming. So we took out the negative because that concept of negative became, oh, negative's bad. So we lost the emotional capability of feel centers. This then allows the negative agenda to go forward with just the two. I have thought, I have action. So the negative agenda tells you what to think, tells you how to act. We have no power in free will to say, wait a minute, I don't feel that's correct because I'm only programmed with thought, action, thought, action, thought, action. This is the most gigantic thing that is changing in this ascension process is redoing the infrastructure of the grid program, which has now allowed about three years ago, the mother frequency of God source. And this is not mother earth. This is mother God frequency, color, sound, plasma, information to come back into there and balance out the true trinity of thought, emotion, and action. But what is critical is people start to understand neutral. If you are thinking something or told something and you throw out a thought pattern and you immediately react and you don't take pause in the react before you decide upon the emotion, you will have a programmed emotion slip in and you will lock into that old pattern anyway. Does that make some sense? Oh, yeah. You're using a very different language than I use, but I get what you're saying. And and what you were talking about as the Trinity that was shattered is something that, that we actually are holistically. Yes. And when you're talking about grid systems, you're you're really talking about just programming. Like I find the computer metaphor to be simpler yep. for me. There was a wonderful book that just focused on that particular dynamic by Doug Rushkoff called Program or Be Programmed. And that's really what's going on in the world. Yes. Yes, very much so. Yeah. And that we just have to become conscious that we are actually living in a read-write universe, whereas our culture keeps trying to slam down our throat that they've made all the rules and all we can do is read the programming and act upon that predetermined programming that they've set up because it benefits them. That's because no one has been taught from the source energy itself that we are co-creators. We've been taught that there's a creator and that we're these little minions down here. And the actuality is dogmatic religion has gotten in the way. And don't get me wrong. I've worked with the God source more than I've ever worked with. I mean, I grew up Catholic and now I probably believe in and work through the God source energy 10 times what I did when I was, you know, reading prayers from some hymnal. 
that was so robotic to me. I knew something like you as a child, something was so wrong here. So the God source is real. Information like the Trinity is real. All of this stuff is real, but the packaging of it and the perspective of it is altered and actually tweaked. So when we start to navigate this stuff as an empath, this is when that discernment process is so vital because I sit there and I look at this and I listen to this and I say, oh, hell no, that is not my truth. That is not resonating with this meat and bone, beautiful vehicle that has feels. We are a sentient being. And it was so cute. My mom, who I said was 89 and is, you know, making her way through the book. She said, Suzanne, I just don't know this one word. You keep using this word. And I said, what word? And she said, what is sentient? And I said, that's what we are. This is the gift of being the human design. We are sentient feel beings. We get to feel. Lots of alien races don't have a feel. They're programmed with their mind source and they don't have that opportunity. So we are so blessed because the feel center is something that cannot be mind controlled. It doesn't get to be mind controlled. The mind can be controlled, but the sentience can't unless we believe in something and then create a feel. So this is vital for us to understand the sentience is our gift. And you talked about in your book how there is cognitive empathy and emotional empathy and that you have a tendency to be more cognitively empathic. Is Am I remembering yeah. that correctly? Yeah, but I'm actually doing a heck of a lot of work right now to be all of it because being more a starseed, I came in very telepathic, very much in my, I can do all the work in my head. I can see everything in my head. And I do have sentience. I have a lot of sentience, but my emotional sentience I've been ramping up in the last several years, meaning I just know things and I can empath things with my knowingness. It's like our psychic skill of claircognizance. It's a knowing, you know, there's a ghost in the corner. I know it's male. I know he has a blue shirt. I know that stuff. Whereas a sentient person, emotional person would say, oh, I feel like his shirt is blue. Oh, I feel like he's a male. So the same thing happens when we empath, we can empath in a number of ways. So I do all of it and I'm doing my best to really break into the emotional part more because oftentimes, and I admit this in the book as well, because of the way that I came in knowing so many different things, I have been kind of chastised throughout my life, mostly by my family, being told that I don't have any compassion. And because I didn't do the typical quote unquote empath things like worry about people because I knew that this was dishonorable to their contract. So I would say, no, I'm not going to worry. And they're like, God, you just don't care about anything. You have no feelings. You're not compassionate. And I realized as I traversed this you know, career that actually I do have huge amounts of compassion just in a different form. My compassion is even well and beyond theirs in terms of, and it's not a contest, but well and beyond theirs because I'm compassionate and aware of their contract. I will honor the fact that they get to be sick. They get to be lonely. They get to lose their job. So I've had that struggle. So, you know, I've lived with that as have others. When people have been hearing these interviews, they will email me back and say, oh my gosh, people have accused me of that my entire life. So I'm doing better on becoming more human in that I can feel, I can feel, I can feel. I've always felt, but now I'm doing much more work on that. Our work is never done, right? <laughs> right, right. And I can totally relate to both of those things because I've I've never fit into the way most people think and feel about things and, and even comprehend things. That usually indicates, Tonio, that you're more galactic 
you know, that you've had other lifetimes that that new tagline, like I said, now is called a star seed. This usually indicates when you come in with that amount of knowing. And again, that doesn't make us cooler or better for a star seed. But on the other hand, it makes you very cool and better because it's important to get your words out and to understand that this isn't mean that I don't fit in here. I chose this incarnation to come during one of the most profound times, along with all my galactic information so that I can share that. And I don't need to keep that inside anymore. I can come out of the so-called starseed closet and let my knowledge take a front seat. And I don't force it down anybody, but I certainly can own it better now because these times are changing so quickly. It's WGDR Plainfield, WGDH Hardwick, Central Vermont Community Radio. I'm talking with Suzanne Worthley. She's the author of this new book we've been talking about, Confident Empath. A Complete Guide to Multidimensional Empathing and Energetic Protection. And this is the Magical Mystery Tour. And because of the nature of, you know, the wholeness of the entire cosmos, universe, multiverse, um, the whole notion of alien or other is in itself a completely alien notion. (laughs) Right. Yeah. And I do a lot, and I mean a lot of off planet work. And I always have, again, as a child, that was all normal for me. I didn't understand why people didn't know about the aliens. And when I started to get introduced back into this on a higher quantum level, meaning multiverses, I go out and I astral travel all throughout multiple verses of verses, universes. And I go on ship often and I don't get taken. I've never been abducted. That's not a thing that happens to me. I merge my body astrally onto all kinds of different, you know, vehicles in different realms. And that's all been very normal and natural for me. And I'm just now also starting to put together a new book on that in terms of really getting those messages out because I would like people to know they can take it or leave it. If it resonates, great. If it doesn't, it doesn't really matter to me. But this stuff is coming out fast and furious right now. And I believe it's important for us to know, obviously, we're not the only ones in this universe or galaxy or multiverses. Obviously, we have galactic histories that will come forward. And they're coming out in bits and pieces quite quickly now. So I think it's time to be really breaking this stuff open. So there are people who see aliens and they conceptually uh, resonate with the notion of aliens. And then do you talk to people who just have a a, a very different kind of feeling sense of all of this on a cosmic level. Like I don't see, and I don't necessarily relate or have any belief or attachment in notions of aliens or not, but I have a feeling sense of actually kind of traveling through the cosmos and feeling like when I was a child, I like you talked about astral traveling. I had a different kind of experience, but in a way, it's kind of similar where I just felt like on a regular basis while I was awake and conscious, I would, on a feeling level, experience my body, you know, expanding infinitely to the size of the universe. And then after getting bored with just expanding infinitely, I would then shrink down to infinitesimally tiny size in the space between atomic particles in which it was equivalent to being in infinitesimally tiny being in outer space between the stars. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, that sounds very familiar. I did a QHHT session once, which is a quantum 
healing technique where you go under in hypnosis and you go to your past lives to learn whatever you need to learn. And I was struggling because I never feel like I have past lives on this planet. And that was always something I just know I haven't been here before. And I thought maybe you're just making that up. So I went and did one of these sessions. And I was so interesting because I was in one of the hypnotic states where I was seeing a little child, a little girl, and I was so excited. I'm like, wow, I must have been this little girl. And then all of a sudden this huge tsunami came and it wiped out this whole entire village. And I'm like, oh, I'm not the little girl. I'm the tsunami. And then the next scene was, oh, I thought it was this guy walking down this alley. And it's like, oh, I'm not the guy walking down the alley. I'm the actual essence that's running throughout every water and puddle and rain happening. And every one of them was like, oh, I'm never a human. I'm just the essence. And it kind of blew my mind way back then, because this is a long time ago, in that, well, how can I not be in anything other than an essence of infinity and all the way down to molecular, like you're saying? And the reality is, is that is the structure of the hologram. The hologram comes from that trinitization of light, sound, frequency, and color, and it keeps fractaling. But way before we're ever a human experience, we are essence, we are intelligence, we are the design matter material that's the fabric of creation. And only a small handful of people that I've met, now yourself included, remember that because that's what I remember. I don't remember past lives. I don't remember being an alien except one. I remember being the essence that helps the infrastructure be. And so this is, I think, a really powerful thing. And most of those people come in with a vast knowledge of how the larger picture works. So you don't have to, when I say you're galactic, you don't have to go, oh, I'm an alien. And by the way, a lot of people think aliens are equivalent to the gray that we see on TV and the little, you know, the big bubble head. And many, many alien races are human in some design form. They're not the angelic blueprint human that we are that's diamondized, but they are also human. So we may have been from another star system and still felt very human. So this thing just is so enormous and we're only seeing the tip of the iceberg now. But this all, essence yeah. thing is great, right? Yeah. And we're all related. Yeah. Integrally related. I mean, quantumly entangledly related. And what you were talking about, about being essence as opposed to previous incarnations, I've always had this very strong resonance with the Taoist perspective, as well as certain other, like in the Tibetan Buddhist tradition, they have the Dzogchen tradition, which is very similar to the Taoist perspective, not the practicing Taoist, but the essential Taoist perspective of the unmanifest and the formless. Yep. The yep. ultimate. Yeah, this is ahead. why you felt like you never fit in because not everybody gets to that level. And it's really cool because knowing that level and being comfortable with that level. And again, this isn't a value system or a contest, but not everybody goes to that place because we just don't. And so when I go now and I can wormhole back to all the way back to creational source, and this is when you have this vast knowledge of there is no fear. I don't need to be scared of something nefarious or dark. When I come across an actual alien experience that is very dangerous or dark, I don't have to fear that because I am that, right? All the way down to if I have to fear a government official because they're such a, you know, a jerk and they're so this and they're so that and all this judgment gets thrown around. I don't have to fear that because I am that to some extent, right? We're all one. And when we get rid of all of that crappy thought processes of judgment and value and better and worse, 
And we remember we're all essence. And then we have free will choice on how to determine to create and co-create a lifestyle. Then we give total freedom to everything and it makes life so much easier, right? I mean, it just makes things gel. And so much more enjoyable. There are a couple of lines that I, I loved in the book. One is true empathy is giving others energy with no strings attached. And that empathy is the truest sense organ of an incarnated human being. Yep. Yep. It's the biggest birthright that comes from that mother God frequency. Mother God frequency stands for compassion, empathy, kindness, forgiveness. And this is what we have been lacking as food and fuel as a species for so long since that hijacked eons ago. And now we have the opportunity. The problem is, is we're also programmed at this point that it's like unlearning everything we know. You know, I have four adult children and recently I put them all together for something. And I said, I want you to all stand around me and hear this. And they're like, what now, mom? And I said, I want you to forget everything I've ever taught you. And I really mean that. I want every single belief system, every rule, every everything to be vanished from your head. And now you start over with what your true beliefs are because you're all adults and you get to. And they just looked at me and, you know, my kids are so used to all this. And they're like, whatever, mom, <laughs> went on their merry way. <laughs> yeah. But again, it, it really boils down to that primal wound of separation. Oh, huge. And I also love the notion that all that is, you know, had this kind of longing to experience itself in a way that it couldn't in its ultimate formless state. And in the process of doing that, it literally became the infinite things that make up our cosmos and multiverse so that it could experience itself in every possible way interacting with itself which of course includes all the kind of dynamics that we're experiencing in this world as well as everything that we can't even begin to imagine and i can kind of view it like because i'm a grandmother we had two new grandbabies last year and we have one prior and i was sitting with the brand newest one a while ago and this is why grandparenthood is such a beautiful thing because you see an extension of yourself twice removed. You see so much of not only yourself, but your child who is the father or the mother. And yet this individual does all of these different expressions. You see the awe and the wonder and the absolute connection of being present with the body and its surroundings. And you have all these experiences of like shattering and fractaling into other beings of your own self. And it's such a fascinating human experience to be able to have that gratifying moment of saying, oh my gosh, and yet this little being is completely here on their own as their own soul experience. And they have all this individuality and yet there's a collectivity going on here. So when I sat with that just the other day, it was so cool and overwhelming. And I was so grateful to be able to have that going on. And not to mention this child looks exactly like my child. It's just another version thereof. So I will find myself then traversing timelines in my own head. As I hold her, I feel like I'm holding him, you know, 35 years ago. And these little moments of glitches in our humanity are ways that I sometimes think the God source must feel. How cool is that? You're doing this this time. Oh my God, you learned that last time. So you're doing better at this. You know, the God source is probably just thumbs up, you know, but a lot of times I think it's thumbs down because we don't know we're that powerful. I think the God source doesn't really necessarily always want pain and suffering. And yet sometimes that soul comes in and says, I'm choosing pain and suffering for my own lessons. And that's okay too. 
So when we really get this on a big scale, there's nothing that's right or wrong. It just is. And that is so hard for humans. That answer is so hard for humans. Yeah. And everything in this cosmos perfectly dovetails together to serve each other in this infinitely complex and uh, perfectly balanced way that is ultimately beyond anything that we can intellectually understand, really. And I think what's so dangerous about that and so wonderful about that at the very same time is the collective field. And again, this is something that the empath does not even know about unless they're starting to study and understand things. So when we start to understand that 4D field of collective, where we traverse in the ethers, where it is the all I am that holds in your heart chakra, by the way, it connects our spiritual chakras on top to our physical chakras on the bottom in our body, because we're a little microcosm of the whole entire big picture. We don't understand we traverse this collective field all day, but mostly all night long. This is where we dream. This is where we subconscious. This is where you are when you're driving in the car and you don't know how you got to where you got to. This space can be extremely programmed and dangerous, and it is constantly being adjusted, uploaded, deleted by our individuality. And this is why self-responsibility is so critical to understand that makes the difference in the oneness. So if I'm buying into all the garbage and I'm scared and I am just churning out the crap that I took in from the local news media, for example, or national or world, I'm throwing that verbal vomit, head vomit, thought vomit into that collective field. And it's thicker and thicker and more horrible, which then takes on the law of attraction and it is offered to everybody and like finds like more and more. And this is what we don't understand as a collective responsibility. It is my job to put into that matrix what I want, what I love, so that that quotient of fear versus love is on the scale of love 10 times higher than the scale of fear. Fear still has to be there, but we want it way lower on the scale set. And right now we're completely the opposite. And also to choose the appropriateness of it in our lives in a, in a uh, deliberate yeah. and conscious way unconditionally again, right? Because the minute we do that conditionalization and judgment, we've already blown it. Yeah, that, that whole collective dynamic is so critical to understand as well. And another thing that I really love that you, you write about in your book is this practice of returning everything back to source. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this I think is probably one of the most profound things that I've seen my client base when they capture this idea, the trajectory of their spiritual path just takes off like an eagle because they're now aligning with the concept that I actually am a co-creator and that I do not need to hold on to anything that no longer serves me, but that gives them a tangible kind of like thought process. And I break it down pretty good in the section of the Akash. And we can think of libraries because the Akash is where we have information, books and books and books and files and files. And there's so many layers to the Akash. Everything has Akashic records. Every single thing, the planet, the galaxies, the stars, the beings on this earth, even our plants and animals have Akash records to some extent. And we just keep getting bigger and bigger libraries where all the books keep funneling into. And eventually all of the books of information, experiences, thoughts, feelings go into the so-called Akash, which is the God source library. It is the biggest thing. 
And when we start to understand that infrastructure, we can start to understand there is a real need for us to get our fear, our pain, our agony, and our angst out of the human vehicle and into the Akash. And this is how I teach it. If I'm holding on to abuse from my childhood and my dad was a horrible alcoholic and I was beaten and I was sexually abused and all these things happened to me and I went into victimhood, if I start to understand the soul contract concept, if I understand I contracted for this as my initial lesson so that indeed I can take my power back and flip this around in love, I don't have to be okay with the actual action, but I allow myself to understand the soul contract at a higher level that I'm signing up for this. And now I have the ability to move through it, let it go and send it back. The reason why we want to send back abuse or anything, anything at all. And by the way, joy too. The reason why we want to send this back to the Akash is because think of it. It's like the main master library. And when new beings are coming forward for an incarnation and they are choosing their reasons for coming, they are choosing their life path lessons. If they are made privy to all the horrors on this planet, they may indeed sign up to be that one that really assists in stopping abuse on this planet or be that one that is going to change our ecology and save our fish and our waters or be that one that is going to change chemicals so that we never eat that crappy food again. So this is so critical for us to get that we are here like human flash drives and it's important for us to get it from one computer to the other computer, in your terms, because we need to keep my computer clean and clear, especially as an empath, so I can continue to discern, oh, here's another book to return. Here's another program to let go of. And this is how we evolve, not only as humans, but as planets, as galaxies, and as universes. And part of the way I've learned about that through a few different practices of returning and releasing everything back to source is that when we hold on to things, which is in a sense believing that they're true in the way that we are thinking of them and believing them in our limited sense and holding that in our field, it contributes to the collective field as well in the opposite way that you were just describing of returning the book of our experience as a body of wisdom that others can draw upon. And that is an excellent, excellent point. That is really great and brilliant to say to everyone because that is so true. We are connected to that collective field at all times. And I can add one more level on top of that. If I still continue to hang on to believing that and my human vehicle dies and I go back to source energy, that confusion is still going to have to be relearned on the other side of the veil. So that even adds another layer on top of it, because if I die with that misconception, that misbelief, that means I actually didn't accomplish the lesson that I came in to learn on the flip side. So this is part of that old reincarnation loop cycle. But now since the loop cycle is broken, I will still have to do that learning and lesson on the other side, if that makes sense for you. Oh, yeah, that makes total sense. And yeah, if we die in a state of fear, as opposed to in a state of love, like many people on their deathbed just open up spontaneously to the realization that everything that they've ever believed was not real. And that, and as they get a glimpse of where they're going, everything that they previously believed just completely dissolves into, you could call it love or clarity or bliss or, or whatever. But if you do die hanging on to fear, 
various traditions say that you will re reincarnate in order to deal with that. Or deal with it on the other side in a very, very slow process because the earth timeline goes so much quicker. And that's why this is the best and fastest classroom. So I bring a lot of that up in my energy healers book of dying as well, because I did hospice for years and years and years. And I've been around death my whole life. I'm a mortician's daughter. I mean, death has been, you know, my first primary thing. And it is so critical for us to understand we're already dying every day of our lives. So what I say at the end of that energy healers book is live as if you're dying because you are. And by the way, you will die as if you're living. And the human body will shut down with such struggle if we don't get rid of that fear. I mean, we're in the process of letting those chakras clear. So why not have your chakras clear now and enjoy life so much better and don't wait until the 11th hour where you're going to have a harder time letting those old program beliefs go? Yeah. Yeah. There's some really cool client stories in that book as well. I have a couple of them that were my favorite I try to put client stories in each one of them because they're so fascinating and I'm so honored to have them. But there's some really, really doozers in that first book. (laughs) Could you pick one and and share it with us? Oh my gosh. I had this gentleman who was 80 some years old and his so-called life looked very typical and mundane. He was a little bookseller and, you know, he was filled with cancer from head to toe. And he asked to see me in the hospice situation, which was weird because I only did end of life. I didn't talk with people, but he said he needed to talk to me. And I went in the first time and he was actually sleeping. And I almost fell off my chair because I've never seen an aura like his. It was 100% rose infused, which means that his frequency of his auric field was so high and so completely divine that I was blown away. And I left and I came back the next day and he was awake and he said, Hey, how did my field and chakras look? And I'm like, how do you know about your chakras at 88 years old? And he's like, Oh, girl, he said, I have been doing this work for you know, so many years, he had 27 notebooks of past life experiences and knowledge that he did with a pendulum that was made out of a button on a string from his sweater. And he logged everything. And the knowledge of this dude just blew me away. And I would sit with him. I went so many times a week because I was so honored. I would sit with him and talk about multiverses and where we're going. And he needed me to fill in some gaps for him. And it was so amazing. And we would meditate together and I would come back and I'm like, you're so big out there. And you go, I know. And you're even bigger. And I go, I know. And then we'd laugh and laugh and we'd giggle our heads off. This guy, Tonio, was completely, completely taken over with cancer. And he did not eat or drink anything except water and juice for, I think it was almost more than a half a year. He's in the medical books as a phenomenon. And no one could understand what was going on with him because he was such a high vibration. And his goal was much like the things that you read. He just wanted to apparate and just disappear and have his clothes sitting in the lazy boy chair, (laughs) which I thought was super cool. But he never got to do that, sadly. I was going to Peru this year and I was going to miss him for two weeks. And I said, you know, go ahead and die when I'm gone because you're right at the end. And he said, oh, no, no, I'm waiting for you to come back. So I came back, told him everything about Peru. And the next morning he was on his deathbed, absolutely non-responsive. I went in for one visit and he died on my way home. Mm -hmm. And he was probably my most favorite person because his family, and this is the important part, thought that he was crazy. His family stuck him in a home care place way in his younger years because they were sick and tired of his stupid stories, as they called them, about traversing other planes of existence. And they thought he was crazy and they thought he made everything up. 
and they thought he was loony in his head. And they said the most cruel and awful things to him all the time. And the daughter burned his 28 books because she thought they were evil. And I was so flabbergasted with the breadth of knowing in this man. And he looked at me at one point and he said, I know exactly what I'm doing when I come back. And I said, what? And he said, I'm restructuring the um, dimensions of the gods. And I said, what? And he said, the gods dimensions in the hologram are all messed up and I'm taking over that job. And I said, that's fascinating. And after he died, I started studying more and more about the infrastructure in our holographic chain of command where the gods were taken out. And now they're coming back in force in the last three years. And I'm like, dang, that was one of the coolest relationships I ever got. Super short, but super powerful. And when you talk about the structures of the gods, you're talking about the way humanity has been programmed in many different ways to think about these things. Well, I'm also talking about the actual real gods like Zeus and Poseidon. Oh, right. The lesser gods. Yes, correct. And there's all kinds of weird stuff going on in that realm. Yeah, really crazy, but it's really been stirred up in the last couple of years. So I think he's doing a good job, it feels like to me. And then there's one other one I won't go into if they want to read it eventually. His name is Rick, and it's a really great true story, and it's what changed my life completely. It was a friend of mine who was dying from cancer. And that one, I'm very vulnerable and tell how I kind of got my butt kicked thinking that I was a healer. And I realized, you know, healing sometimes is dying. And it's a beautiful, beautiful tribute to Rick's story. And every single chapter has a client story because I did so much hospice for so long. And it can be such an incredibly beautiful, wonderful journey. But, you know, some people will just hold on to that grief and it will destroy the rest of their lives. But the minute they get a new paradigm on soul contracts and understanding and honor, it can change their world. And it happens every day in my office. It happens every day where people go, I never knew this. I didn't think like this. I didn't know this was a thing. And it will change people completely. And it's fascinating. Yeah. And it's always just a moment away. Yeah, right. Open up your head. Open up your heart. It's wonderful. And I'm so honored and blessed to be able to do both kinds of work, you know, all of the energy practitioner stuff, but death, Man, if you have the opportunity, it's a beautiful journey. Yeah, I have a strange relationship with all of this stuff. I trained to be an energy healer, and then I realized I didn't want to do healing. I had no business doing healing. <laughs> Just kind of, again, you know, an unmapped sense of my relationship to all this stuff and no clear reference points. And even as a child, I looked at death very differently from the way everybody else did. I didn't see it as a terrible thing. I didn't see it as as a loss, even though I didn't really understand what my sense of it was. And then since then, you know, I've come to realize, you know, death is a wonderful thing. It's just mm -hmm. a natural part of everyone's evolution. And it's not what we have been led to believe mm -hmm. or anything like that. And what's on the other side you know, it's just beyond anything we can imagine or conceive of from this limited perspective. And, you know, I, again, am so fortunate to be able to do things. I, I have a capability of sometimes at my events, I will full channel and I will step back in my holographic field and I will push my templates forward and let beings come through to show themselves. And so basically Suzanne's entire body changes. I get taller or shorter or fatter and I turn into a male or a female or a alien or whatever it is. And oftentimes at these events, 
the participants, loved ones that are dead will come through to give messages and then my voice will change and I'll talk. And it is such profound healing because 100% I will turn into someone's relative and I will say things that my Suzanne-ness would never know. And they connect 100% by using my templates. And to be able to host that moment in time to give someone else peace of mind that there still is something, that this being that they loved so dearly and grieved so much is not gone, that they are in an ether place that just needs now a template to show up again. This gives us a perspective of that oneness again, where we don't have to have the fear. But again, it's very difficult to talk about death. And I launched that book during 2020, sadly, because everything got shut down, all the interviews got cut off, everything didn't want to talk about death, because everyone was terrified of everything that we were being shown. And I still think it's such an important message for people to talk about death, start understanding this is a transmutation that is a natural process and the higher self knows exactly what it's doing. And this takes so much stress off of us to not worry about somebody. So again, the empath is really, really, really has a difficult time when they're empathing someone's journey, especially with sickness and disease, because they'll take it on. And we don't want to do that. We want to honor it. Yeah. Suffering is a hard thing to, uh, to metabolize. Yeah. Yeah. And in yeah. some ways, dealing with other people's suffering is even harder than our own. Well, ultimately, that's because it really, when you get skilled, your body's knowing it isn't ultimately yours to hold. That's why the higher self of the body is saying, honor it, don't do it. Honor it, don't take it. Honor it and watch it and be neutral with it and compassionately hold space for it, but don't feel it, wear it and be it. And that's what the empath does. Yeah. And that's the challenge for most of us. Yeah. Yeah. This is big stuff, right? I mean, it's, and I'm so glad that you are bringing forward such great things because it sounds like your knowledge base of this is just vast. And I am excited for you to share because, you know, there's so many people like you that have experiences and feelings and thoughts and knowings. And, and it's time. It's time we get this stuff out there everywhere, you know, blasted from the rooftops. But sadly, again, you know, local and national and world medias oftentimes are still in that Western loop of everything. So hopefully we're broaching and bridging that now. Yeah. And it's interesting that I don't really know what I know because the way I sense things and the way I experience things is on a level that I don't really have language for until mm -hmm. I come into contact with people like you who I can bounce off of and with my own translation of your language and, and other people's language. And so reading your book and many of the other things that I get to read and talk about really helps me to kind of flesh out the language of it the way of, of understanding it or, or being able to make it a little more tangible. And that, again, Tonio, is a characteristic of being more of coming from soul essence. That's a very typical characteristic. And it's funny because I, too, come from that place, but I also run a lot of, and I hold a lot of knowledge in the Melchizedek. And the Melchizedek, when we go that high, is not a person, it's not a family line, it's not anything, but other than the instruction set that breaks things down to create. And so I have that knowing that you have. And then for whatever reason, my so-called mission or job was to be able to articulate how to break it down. So oftentimes I'm meeting people just like you and they're saying, oh, that's what I've been thinking. Oh, there's the word. Oh, that's what that means. And so you're not alone in that characteristic by any means. 
And I also often wake up around three to four in the morning and have this experience of like getting information. Yeah, download, download, yeah. download, right? Yeah. yeah. And, and it's here and then it's gone. <laughs> well, the download does actually go through your whole matrix or your computer programming. It really does. And lots of times you'll look at it like, you know, six months, six days, six years later and go, oh, that's why I know that. But some people actually know their downloads are happening because it's a vibrational frequency that they're like, it's very quantum feeling and it's very almost laser-like or it can vibrate differently. So yeah, they're, they're very cool. I download a lot. So most of us do it in our sleep state though. Yeah. And I do it in liminal state that I love to hang out in as well. But what leaves me is the ability to remember it in a clear way that I can actually talk about. Right. But know that you're still doing the work on a collective basis, right? That's what's most important. And nothing's lost. And, and anything that we become conscious of actually enters into the collective field. Because we're all individualized portals of sorts. You know, our crown chakra is about bringing that source energy in. It's not just chi for our own fuel. It's chi for the whole experience. And so when we download and we bring it in, it's you could imagine it pouring in through the top of your head, crown chakra, and coming out, either your voice as an articulation or your heart just as unconditional love. So these vehicles are very special and they're designed to be one in so many ways that we don't even think about. And we are a fractal of the infinite divine source. So, of course, everything that, that happens to us happens to everything else through that entanglement. And it feels so good to know that with every ounce of your being, doesn't it? And I struggle yeah. sometimes as who I am with impatience because I'm like, don't you get it? You know, I mean, seriously, don't you know that? Don't you understand that? <laughs> because so many people see Source as separated, like he's a guy on a cloud with a book and a dress. And it's like, no, you are Source energy, you know? So, yeah. Yeah. I get impatient with society and humanity as a whole, but mm -hmm. in general, I've kind of let go and acknowledge that humanity is still at an adolescent stage in its evolution. But your language of using AI, I want to see if it fits with, I'm reading another book by Paul Levy, who has done a lot of work on the concept of Watiko, which is the embodiment of evil or the spirit of evil in humanity, collectively and individually. And he uses the term semblance of evil. It's the shadow of God. You could say it's the false overlay of mm -hmm. the divine that's mm -hmm. manifested as the quote unquote dark shadow. And yet, yeah. you know, that Luciferian principle is actually the principle of bringing light to it. So it's creating a full cycle of the process that inevitably returns back to the wholeness of the source. Yeah, so, this is a huge subject, and I have an online community called Vibe Tribe, and I just did my whole webcast on the 10th Stargate portal last night, which is in Iran and Iraq, and I was explaining to them that the Stargate systems were designed in the holographic universe by the founder races to bring God's source into us, not only planets, but individuals. It was a feeder system, which is also working with white wormholes and black wormholes that is a transparent system of light years instantaneously. So these are passageways that have been in the way past pre-Babylonian and Sumerian times hijacked. And when these became hijacked, that's where the dark agenda started to house their ability to collect what we call luge or anger or feed the fear as fuel for them to then keep creating. 
So this is artificially creating itself and it keeps creating itself. So it is indeed like a consciousness creator, like a God source, but on a dark, evil, dark agenda. And what that does then is it brings it back up into the higher holograms and pours it into that infrastructure. And the way that I teach it is it's much like an, a Jenga game where it poked holes in the Jenga tower and it got super unstable. And then it would put different colored blocks in the Jenga, which were the program reversals. And this is what is being cleaned up right now, because that's why it was able to program everybody and take over mind control, etc. So these evil AI agenda factions have been working since the beginning of time because we live in a dualistic reality. If there's good, there has to be evil. If there's dark, there has to be light. But what we want to go back to is the quotient thereof. We want to work the quotient of love way higher and allow the dark to be there without fearing it by feeding it and feeding it by fearing it. So these portal systems are being repaired right now. We still are looking at Stonehenge's and gateways and Giza's and the portals all over the world. This is the infrastructure system to reactivate the planet. And that's what the ascension process is about. So this is an AI process. That said, that's the organic negative AI. But now we have technology and we have big business on a dark level. We have the reptilian and Luciferian and satanic agendas going on, which are purposefully jumping on this and manipulating and extending the mind control by very unknowledgeable humans by let's play this really crappy video game. Let's put your information over here. Let's scan your face over here. Let's play this on your phone. And they're gathering data beyond data beyond data. And they're creating things and experimenting on humans 24-7 and no one even realizes it. And this is all pushing towards transhumanism eventually. So we're on a teetering point, but so far the light and the benevolence and the guidance and the guardians and the founders from off planet are gathering force with this. And we are, I believe, still on track to fully ascend. We already have in some timelines, but you know, the humans can blow this if we're not educated. But it seems like a lot of this is still coming from levels of ignorance. Yeah. Are you kidding? That's a hundred percent. But I'm talking about even the positive intention, you know, the higher beings with positive intentions about all this and how they created all these things supposedly to improve things are all born out of an ignorance and how, you know, a little bit of information or a little bit of knowledge can be a very dangerous thing. Yeah, and, and I agree with all of that. You know, it's funny because we that work with galactics and those that don't but think they are real, whatever, um, oftentimes believe that the galactic or the alien or the off-planet person or being or whatever knows everything, knows so much more. And indeed, they do in some areas. But oftentimes when I am working with them in regards to my own body or the way that I work, etc., lots of times they're like, we just don't know. We don't know what to do with that, Suzanne. And I'm like, what do you mean you don't know? You're the alien. You're supposed to know everything. You're the light being. Why can't you? Do Why don't you know? And they're like, because we're learning just as much as you are as we go. This whole thing is a co-creation. We need to remember that in our four months of our mind because nobody knows ramifications. One of the biggest laws of our universe is cause and effect. So we better be careful what we're putting into that collective field because that's the consequences that we're all playing out now, we are co-creating every second of our day. So you better wake up and figure out what you're putting into the matrix, right? Yes, exactly. And that, that for me is such a powerful motivator for me to experience like creating joy in my body on a feeling mm -hmm. level, because that is what I'm actually 
connecting to the universe through. Yep. And that's a beautiful thing. And that's what I'm, I'm not in kindergarten with it, but I'm in still probably about middle school because I have been such a star seed most of my life and my body was used differently for most of my life. So I was always a bit detached from my body so that the work wouldn't affect my body. Yeah. And when you talk about the Akashic Records, that's actually equivalent to what some people call God and or all that is. That's my exact opinion. And I use the words just a smidgen different because records, Akashic records, go per whatever, per that incarnation, per that essence, per that soul. And when we get all of those so-called books back to the very biggest library, then it's just basically the Akash because there isn't any records. It's all the records. It just is the I am. So, I mean, it's not like it's an Akashic record when it's God's source. It's just the Akash. So you're you're looking at it from the perspective of, let's say, a cosmic librarian, whereas somebody who's looking at it from my perspective would just be like, it's all there. This is the whole shebang. And you're like breaking it down. There are all these subcategories of of the great library. It's like local branches in our reality, local branches. Then you got like the state library and then you got the national library and then you have the ancient library, you know, and then you have if you took all of those libraries and merged them together. And it's very important for us to understand that each individual has their own Akash within their soul, their soul Akashic, which holds all of the records from every incarnation, but every incarnation has an Akashic record. That's what's stored. And I write this in the dying book. That's what's stored in what's called our silver cord, which attaches from our heart chakra up to our soul while we are incarnated. And when this body dies, that silver cord is what you traverse through. That's the so-called tunnel that you experience. And you see everything because your Akashic record is in there in energetic form, much like a mandala. And that's why you see a life review and you see the light at the end of the so-called tunnel because it's connected to your soul. So all of the individuals have Akash, then the soul Akashic records, then the soul has Akashic for all of those Akashic records, then that soul goes up to the soul pod, the soul essence, etc. It just keeps feeding up the chain. Right. And all of those things that you were describing are really just metaphors for a direct experience that different people with their own different kind of sensual orientations experience in different ways. Like I don't experience things in those visual ways. Yeah. And everybody just has their own way. So for me, it's really important to translate the language because I know probably a lot of my listeners will be completely mystified by some of your language. So I'm always mm-hmm. trying to trying to like ground the language in a way. Yeah. Well, the silver cord is an actual real thing that our etheric meaning energy body from our auric field has. So the actual silver cord is where we traverse every single night when we dream. And that's why we don't get lost when we're in the ethers and we come back. It's because we're corded. And when we die, that cord dissipates just like an umbilical cord releases. So the silver cord is actually very real. And this is how people perceive it as the tunnel. And they perceive it as a life review because it's just an energetic file system. So those perceptions that they're having in near-death experiences are actually under the umbrella of this is a silver cord with a you know, energetic file system, light at the end of the tunnel is the God source, etc. So, but everyone gets to believe whatever they want, because that's what this is all about, right? Right. We all see things in, or experience things in our own way. And, and even the, the silver cord is an energetic manifestation. Yes, it's an energy cord. There's nothing that's hanging off of your body. 
Right. There's nothing physical or even visual. We create the visual aspect of it to fit whatever kind of meaning that works for us. And remember, we do that all day long with everything under the sun that we're dealing with because you are responsible for creating. And even in the death process, you will create your death process per your belief system until you get fully back to source. When you fully get back to source, then kind of the veil is lifted. But you will create your death scenario the way that your belief systems are. So be careful what you believe, right? Well, yeah. (laughs) Always always examine whatever you believe. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And no matter how many times you've examined it, keep examining it because from every new perspective, as we continue through our lives, our perspective broadens. Oh my God, right? My mom's so cute. I love this woman so much because she grew up so completely Catholic and being 89, you know, old school, everything. And I remember when I first started this stuff, I said something about reincarnation and she says, oh, Susie, we don't believe in reincarnation because we're Catholic. And I said, well, you might, but we do. We believe in reincarnation. And now at this age, all these years later, she's come to all my classes, read all my books. She goes out with her cronies and she talks about reincarnation and they all almost fall off their chair. And this woman who talks about her past life's like crazy now because she's done so much work and she just makes me giggle so hard. So it's just a testament <laughs> to beliefs can change, right? I mean, she opened her heart to this process and now understands it energetically and she loves it. I think it's so adorable. Yeah. Yeah, I had a Catholic girlfriend and and I got to hear stories of, of the kind of dark stuff that she went through, which I never went through because I didn't grow up with any of those kind of beliefs. But I came to understand that depending on, on our uh, kind of spiritual, religious and conceptual upbringing, yep. we, that literally molds what you would call the matrix of the reality that we, we perceive. But again, I, this is what I toss to people. Really examine where you stand as an adult and open up your head and heart to things because these dogmatic practices and limitation practices and thoughts behind so much of the dogma is a separation of source energy. You know, I have to be scared of something. I'm going to go somewhere. I have to be good. These are all made up stories when that fractalization was taken over in a hijack situation to keep us separated on purpose. That mother God was never involved. And when we get the Trinity back together, we go back to, oh, I'm of source. I don't have source separate. I don't have to yearn and long for something to keep me safe in my root chakra because I already am safe. I am enough. I am love. And these are really important changes that people get to experience when they start to grow in their spirituality. And I'm not saying throw your dogma out, just look at it differently if you choose. Yeah, yeah. And it's hard for people to come around to seeing how to use the Catholic Church as an example has become such a longstanding embodiment of evil on the planet. Yeah. Again, I have a hard time with those institutions because... I watch and I listen and I'm just like, oh, it just it's such limitation. I was in Peru once and we looked up on the, this chapel and I'll never forget this painting. One side of the painting had all these happy people, all in these great costumes and they're partying and they're having a blast. And there was all these skeletons dancing and having a great time. The other side was this painful, bloody experience with shards of glass along the pathway and everyone's bleeding and suffering. And I looked up at my Peru guy, Ronnie, who's my friend and guide, and I'm like, so what's that? And he goes, heaven and hell. And I go, was that heaven? And I'm pointing at hell. And he's like, no, that's hell. And I go, well, that sure isn't heaven. And he's like, yeah, because you have to suffer to get there. And I'm like, there you go. That's what we call the crucifixion implant, which was one of the 
biggest missions that I worked on the entire time on the planet, and it's now done, which is an implant in not only the huge grid factors of all, but it is duplicated in our body through our hara line, which means our whole spine, and cuts through the throat, which signifies the cross. That means your spiritual chakra of your voice is gone, and you have to suffer and listen to what we say, and you have to suffer in order to get to where you want to get to. And it's a very real program that most all people of dogma, religion, some shape or form believe in, that it has to be hard to get good. And that is simply not true. And of course, once again, it boils down to what we believe to be true becomes true for us. Oh, gosh, yeah, right? We will create that. There's a part in the book where I say that you will create whatever you believe, and it's pretty powerful. Yep. Our infinitely powerful mind can create complete limitation and self-imprisonment. Well, and hopefully shows like this are going to do the question mark, you know, let the question mark be in front of you and have the courage, if you choose, to go down the rabbit hole. You don't have to stay in any rabbit hole, but you certainly maybe want to put a flashlight down there and see if there's any golden nugget that you want to bring back. You don't have to bring back all the rabbits. It's just like what piece maybe of anything do I want to ponder a little bit more so that we can educate ourselves? And there's plenty of stuff out there that I go, mm, nope, because that's the gift of the empath, man. The skilled empath, the confident one says, absolutely not. That's garbage. And I'm not reading that. And that's what's so cool about this work. Yep. And really going down the rabbit hole is really exploring our own relationship to all of these things and determining mm -hmm. what works for us and what doesn't work for us or what's true for us and what isn't true for us. And again, we have to keep doing that kind of self-examination on a continual basis. And I see rabbit holes as training grounds for my discernment process. You know, during this last couple of years when everything was insane and, you know, all that stuff was happening, there was so many people going down deep, deep, deep rabbit holes that were really causing strife within their friends and family, et cetera. And I was really down a bunch of them just learning. And even one of my kids came out to be very concerned. He's like, mom, we're kind of worried about you that you're getting a little wacky. And I said, you don't have to worry about me. I'm down the rabbit hole just to examine my own discernment process. It's important for me to go into the rabbit hole and use my body so that I can sit with it and trust myself versus what the rabbit hole is offering. This is a skill set training ground that can be absolutely phenomenal. But to go into the rabbit hole 100% because you believe the rabbit hole is right, then you've already lost it. Yeah. But in another sense, we can't really push things away from us. We have to understand them in relation to the way we think about them or believe them because we have to do the inner work, even with the things that seem to be so clearly external to us, because in actuality, nothing's external to us. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm which is the huge conundrum that we face because we have been taught categorically that, that everything we see outside of us is an objective experience outside of us and separate from us when in fact the opposite is, is true. Yeah. It's almost like I said to my kids, throw away everything and start over. Right. Right. If we could do it, it's, it's, <laughs> it, that's impossible to do unless, it is. unless you have a, a like near death experience. That's the only way that <laughs> you, you, you can do that. Or and yeah. and it, and it isn't us doing it. It's something that it's kind of like grace happening to us. Right. And it never ends, by the way. Right. The learning never ends. It never ends. Never ends. Yeah. No. Yeah. yeah. So this work that you do, do you do remote work? Yes. 
I've always done remote work because I'm fully telepathic. So even if you're in my office, I don't touch you at all. I totally merge with you as an empath to do the work. And then I pull back out of the work and I never even come near you. And it's fun because oftentimes people will say, oh, yeah, when you were standing at my feet or your hand was on my shoulder. And I'm like, yeah, because I'm all the way across the room. So that always makes me giggle. But no, I'm, I'm fully telepathic, so I can do at work anywhere. I'm automated online for bookings. So you just have to go to my website if anyone is ever interested. And it's just my name, sworthly.com. So it's been fascinating conversation. I've really enjoyed this. Thank you. Me too. I really appreciate it. And if anyone ever wants to find me again, it's just my website. Everything's on my website. S-W-O-R-T-H-L-E-Y.com. Okay. And be well. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That was Suzanne Worthley. She's been an energy healing practitioner, intuitive, and psychic empath for more than two decades. Suzanne also teaches and counsels on the subject of energy, healing, personal power, protection, and the higher self. She offers various workshops, and through her online community, Vibe Tribe, Suzanne offers ongoing training and forums for learning, discussion, and support. She's also the author of An Energy Healer's Book of Dying, and her new book is Confident Empath, a complete guide to multidimensional empathing and energetic protection.
that's it for this Magical Mystery Tour. Thank you so much for listening. If you missed any of the show or would like to hear it again, you can find this and all Magical Mystery Tour shows at soundcloud.com WGDR. And until next time, take good care of yourselves and each other. <laughs>